with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we pray that you would bless our time together, that we would learn uh, more about you and the preservation of your word uh, throughout the history of the church. We pray that you would always keep your word pure among us, that the gospel may have free course. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to continue our discussion of the Reformation and Martin Luther. Uh, We talked about Luther's life mainly last week, and now we're going to zoom out of just Luther and talk about the Reformation in general. Okay, so uh, if uh, if you uh, are following along in the book, we're looking at page 217, but it's okay if you're not. Um, all right. <laughs> all right, so um, it, it starts with a, two kind of broad questions here, um, and we'll, we'll, maybe we'll pick up on some of these other things as well. Two kind of broad questions, uh, and then the, there's a timeline of Reformation events, so we'll, we'll do the timeline. But I think these are good questions here. Are Lutherans evangelical and are Lutherans Protestant? And I think we could also ask the question: Are are Luther Lutherans Catholic? Right. Uh, that's that's not included in these this list of questions, but it is actually a good question um, because one of the themes that we saw last time in the life of Luther is that the Luther was never about trying to separate himself from the the Roman Catholic Church. He wanted to reform the Western Church, right? The the there there was at this time in history basically two churches, the Western Church and the Eastern Church, and and he wanted to reform that church, right? In the same way that we've talked about before, uh, that there are lots of reformations that happen throughout history, right? Um, in the early church, for instance, whenever uh, they had to get together at the Council of Nicaea and and talk about whether or not God was or Jesus was created, then that was a reformation that happened, right? The church was reformed. It was kept on track. Well, when Luther is discovering that the gospel has been abused, right, with this, these doctrines of good works and these doctrines like the about the Pope and all of this stuff, that um, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to just start his own church he wants the the church the western church which is the majority of people in europe at this point right he wants them to be real christians right so he wants to reform it well anyhow um these questions are lutherans evangelical are lutherans protestant i i do think it actually makes a little more sense to start with this uh question are lutherans catholic and there's two ways to approach this um so the term catholic the, the reason that the, the Roman Catholics called themselves Catholic is because, like I said, at, at one point in history, this was most of – this was Western Christianity basically, right? This was most of Europe. Well, the word Catholic means universal, and so it's the faith that is held universally, right, by all Christians. Now, you could say – Roman Catholics, right, if, if they're talking about that from a numbers perspective, that, oh, this is the largest church, the Roman Catholic Church, 
then we're not Catholic, right? Because we're not we're not Roman Catholic. But there is a sense in which when you talk about the invisible church, right? And what's the invisible church? We've we talked about this a long time ago in Lutheranism 101. The invisible church is all true Christians everywhere at all times, right? Um, Christians who have passed on before us, right? And and Christians in the future that haven't been born yet and, and Christians now. Anyone that has saving faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, right? That, you know, that confesses the true beliefs of the Bible. That this is the invisible church, the church we can't see, Right? There is a sense in which we could call this, right, the Catholic Church. Because it's the universal church, right? And so sometimes uh, you'll see in the creed, once in a while you'll hear uh, old school Lutherans, um, because this is how it was um, until fairly modern modern times, I think in the old Red Hymnal at least, in, in the TLH, right, in the creed, it wasn't the the uh, one holy Christian and apostolic faith. It was the one holy Catholic. We said and that not too long yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It, it's a pretty modern thing to say Christian. And it's. I always find it a little ironic that we change this because we're, the, the word Catholic literally means universal, that we're, when we say the creed, we're saying we're confessing what all Christians of all time have ever confessed, right? And so we take the word that literally means that, and then we change it, right? So it's kind of like anti-credal, <laughs> but um, it's kind of an ironic thing. Anyway, so um, in this sense, I would say Lutherans are are Catholic, right? And um, I always I always get this wrong, but there's sometimes people distinguish with this between big C and little C Catholic, and I think the big C is. The Roman Catholics right. like, is like a technical term, and then the little C is is the universal Catholics, right? So, um, but uh, I I prefer sometimes just to call the Roman Catholics if I'm feeling extra um, Lutheran that day, I'll call them Papist, right? Because this is really what they are: is they're they're people who who um, depend on the Pope. Right, the I think that I think the main doctrine that the Catholics lean on when it comes down to it is papal infallibility. Right? Because their doctrine kind of changes throughout time, but the one thing that doesn't seem to change is that they're they just go with whatever the Pope says. Right? And then it's the popes that bring in all these bad doctrines too, right? The that bring in works righteousness and all this other stuff. So um so we can just call them the papists. <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier. Right. Um, but any, anyhow, so that's, uh, are Lutherans Catholic? I think in, in one sense they are, right? In another sense, obviously they're not Roman Catholic, right? Um, all right. But, but then we can, we can define that further by answering these other two questions, right? Are Lutherans evangelical? Well, again, and I, with both, all these questions, we can say yes and no, right? Depends on how you define your terms. Evangelical, oftentimes we'll talk about the American evangelicals, or um, sometimes you'll hear the term, for instance, like Big Eva, if you've ever heard this term, and you're kind of talking about, um, just talking about American Christianity, if you're listening to analysis about American Christianity, 
Big Eva is kind of an umbrella term for like all the non-denom churches, all the kind of big Baptist churches. Uh, you're you're b- basically big evangelical churches, right? So evangelical is this term that describes um, it, what it what it tend after the 1960s and 70s. Really, what it has tended to describe is churches that still hold to the Bible. Now. That is somewhat changing because we're going through another um, push of liberalism in in the American Christian church today, right? So in the 60s and 70s, you had this liberal push um, where you had a lot of splits like the LCMS and the ELCA. And then in now, we're kind of almost going through that again where some of the churches like the Southern Baptist Convention that has, you know, continued to hold to basic scriptural principles, or at least held to the idea that God's word is true, they're they're having to fight these battles again, right? And I'd say even in the LCMS, there's been some uh, things in in recent years. Um, Methodists had a big to do about. Yeah, method. Some method. United Methodists have have, and they've been. They've been trending more liberal for a while, but and by liberal and conservative, by the way, I'm not talking like um, like Republican and Democrat so much. I'm talking people conservative as in you're conserving God's word, liberal as in you're trying to progress outside of God's word, right? So because um, conservative and progressive just is a spectrum, right? Are you trying to what are you trying to conserve? What are you trying to progress? Um, but anyway, so evangelical, in this sense, we would say, well, no, we're not quite like evangelicals because um, generally evangelicals are known for rejecting infant baptism. Generally, evangelicals are known for being um, uh, non-liturgical or, or less liturgical, right? So uh, maybe we're not really kind of like big Eva, but what does the word evangelical mean and what, what are its roots in history? Right? Yeah, it's the good message. It's the gospel. So the word in, in Greek that shows up in the Bible all the time uh, for good news is uh, euangelion, which means uh, we literally – we just transliterate it, evangelical. Uh, or uh, gospel, right? Gospel-centered, gospel people. And so, um, well, as the book reads here, Lutherans are the original evangelicals, and this is actually what they were called, right? Mm-hmm. Was uh, by the by the Cath- by the Roman Catholics and by the kind of atmosphere of society at that time in the Reformation, Lutherans are called the evangelicals. Why? Because they're the people that are focused on the gospel, right? They're focused on the the gospel of God's grace alone, and um, so uh, I'll, I'll just read a little bit of this. Luther, Luther and those who followed his teachings began to call their churches evangelical or gospel proclaimers because of the focus on gospels, the gospel's good news centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the sole means of salvation. This is different than evangelicalism. That's kind of what I was just describing, which is a later term that describes a Protestant movement that originated in Great Britain in 1730. 
This movement focused on the need for personal conversion, being born again, and biblical fundamentalism. And I would I would actually point out there that we're not completely against biblical fundamentalism, depending on how you define those terms. I mean, we do hold very fast to the Bible and and what it teaches. Um, we would just disagree with what those fundamentals are with the, the, the these group of people who call themselves evangelical. These same needs inform much of American evangelicalism yet today because modern-day evangelicals teach about the faith much differently than Lutherans. Few Lutherans in America today use the name evangelical. Although I would kind of disagree with that because a lot of churches are named such and such and such evangelical Lutheran church, right? St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church, um, Beautiful Savior Evangelical Lutheran Church. That's not our name, but I'm just saying that there are a lot of LCMS churches that use the term evangelical. But I think, uh, I mean, what Luther wanted to be called really was evangelical Catholics, right? The the gospel people who hold the universal faith, right? That that would be a better name for what we believe, a more accurate name, um, just by etymology or the 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 use the um, history of those terms would be evangelical Catholics. And interestingly, Luther, um, I'm sure the book probably mentions this at some point, but uh, Luther did not want to be called Lutheran, right? He did not want the name the movement named after himself, and um, because it and he rec- he he was prophetic and that he did recognize a problem, which is that people are going to accuse this of being a personality cult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there there was going to be accusations that you worship Martin Luther, right? You don't worship Jesus, and there is, right? I mean that does that does happen. People are like, so you guys worship Martin Luther? You've heard that before, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's unfortunate in a way. But also, if you go back to last week, it's understandable in that Luther was a force to be reckoned with, right? And just go and like go and look in my office at all the red books. That's Luther's works, and that's not all of them, right? He was prolific. Like you can't. It's just really hard to get away from the influence of the guy. Um, he was. We kind of talked about how he didn't want to be this way, but he ended up being one of the most important figures of, the, I mean, this millennium in history, right? I mean, even even modern day history books have to include something about this, right? About what happened in the Reformation. Like, um, he he's just so important, and and in Germany even more so. Like the Germans credit Luther with the with modern day German, like the language, right? Because he, with the with his Bible, uh, with the Luther Bible, he really he did reform the language, right? And the and the grammar and some of this stuff. So uh, it it just can't be undercounted, and that's that's why the name was kind of inevitable, was because he was just such a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. Even in America, went back you know a century ago. People would read the Bible and teach their children to read by reading the Bible. So in Germany, that's what you're talking about. Yep. They taught their kids German by reading the Bible. Yep. Yeah, so you just can't get away from the historical dominance of, of Lutheranism. So it is what it is.
All right, and then are Lutherans Protestant? Um, in one sense, we we kind of want to say, well, we're not like every other Protestant, right? Because we were, you know, if if you think about that kind of timeline I showed last time, where you have the the Church of the Apostles, right, and we're coming down through history, and then the East and the West kind of split here, and and we're going down the the West here. And then Luther, I mean, really Lutheranism is the continuation of that. And then the Roman Catholics kind of split themselves off here, right? But then soon after this, we get all these radical reformations that start to split off, right? Um, so we get Calvinism, Zwinglianism, Anabaptist, right? And and Lutherans are want to say, hey, we're right here, right? So we're not... We're not like the rest of what the what rest of Protestantism becomes, but we're also not Roman Catholic, right? And we're not Eastern Orthodox. We're the continuation of the, the Church of the Apostles, right? So, um, in in one sense, right, we want to say no, we're not quite like other Protestants. Um, but in another sense, right, what um, I'll just read the book here. By definition, Lutherans are the only Protestants. Okay, so we have this another diet, um, or if you're very American, um, which is good, you can say diet because that's what the word looks like. Um, at the diet of spire, right? This is probably better tasting than the diet of worms, um, which we talked about last week. The diet of spire. Legal restrictions were placed upon the evangelicals that inhibited their ability to spread evangelical teaching, that is to say the gospel, and the right to assembly, among others. The evangelical delegation filed a former, a formal protest, right? So they filed a document that was a protest to this legal uh, binding of their ability to preach the gospel. When the protest was rejected, the delegation at Spire filed an appeal with the emperor. Historically, then, to refer to the Protestants or the Protestants, comes from this specific protest, one lodged only by the Lutherans. Later reformers tried to strengthen their cause by joining themselves to this historic protest. Because so many people taught differently from the evangelicals, the Lutherans ended up largely rejecting the title for themselves. Okay, so that's what I was just talking about. We want to say, like, when all these other kind of um, radical reformation groups, we'll call them, uh, started to split off from, from what Luther was doing then the Lutherans kind of said, you know, we're not going to go along with that. But they that that group became known as the the Protestants. But it it, ha, it the name comes from this this protest at the Diet of Spire, right? So um, that's that's where the term Protestant comes from. They're the protesting people, right? So um, yeah, if we really wanted a good name, we could call ourselves the the Evangelical Catholic Protestants, right? <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, the ECP, um, but that's just not gonna not gonna happen, right? Um, there was a there was a I've heard a pastor talk about this. There was a, a professor at at Fort Wayne Seminary that uh, died a while back, but be, way before I was there. Um, but kind of a famous professor, a guy by the name of Marquart and Kurt Marquart, and apparently he wanted to rename the LCMS the Church of the Augsburg Confession. 
um, which does actually make a lot of sense when we'll talk about what the Augsburg confession is here shortly. Um, but that, that it just never gained any traction, right? You just can't get away from the name Lutheran. So, right, we got we got stickers now that say "Love Being Lutheran," right, in T-shirts, right. So, I got at the pastors' conference, by the way, I got free stickers to hand out in a couple Sundays. They say "Love Being Lutheran," so it doesn't say "Love Being Evangelical Catholic Protestant." So that's that's how it goes. All right, um, let's also. Uh, Let's see. I'm not. I'm not gonna do that right now. Um, I'm gonna look at this box here real quick, just just for fun. This making connections box on page 218, um, because we didn't talk about this last week, and I kind of don't like going out of order like this, but it's fine. So uh, this is just about Martin Luther's personal life, which I I think is telling that when he reads the Bible, it it changes his personal life too, right? He embodies what it is that he believes, right? He doesn't just, this isn't just ivory tower theology. So Martin Luther married a former nun, Katie von Bora, in 1525. This surprised some people because Luther had once said, no, marriage is not for me. It wouldn't be fair to the woman for I may be killed at any time. Uh, Besides, I'm too busy. I haven't time for a wife. Uh, However, it was God's will that Luther would have a family. The uh, Luther's marriage was blessed with six children, Hans, Elizabeth, Magdalena, Martin Jr., Paul, and Margarethe. Margaretha? How did, I don't know. Anyway. Um, Elizabeth died before her first birthday. Magdalena died when she was 13, and the family was sad, sad to lose their loved ones, but they enjoyed the peace of knowing the girls were in heaven. So um, he lived a hard life in, in many ways. He, he also suffered from a lot of health problems, too. Um, you've seen pictures. I mean, he wasn't the healthiest guy, but um, he had like really bad kidney stones. And um, there was multiple times in his life when he was like, ah, I'm probably going to die pretty soon. Um, and then it didn't happen. He didn't. I think he died in 1546. Right, so. When he was a monk, he did, but that was earlier on in his life. Yeah. So. Um, The quality of life was not as good, obviously, in 1517 as it is now. Yeah. I mean, they, the, hard yeah, hard life. The living conditions were often not good. Um, things were unsanitary often, so it's hard to say exactly what, you know. But like infant death, for instance, was obviously much more common because they didn't have NICUs. So. Um, they didn't have good hygiene either. Yeah, not always. I mean. Yeah, it it depended on where you were too, like, and who you were hanging around. I'm sure, just like it does today. But, um, anyway, so I just want to make that point that Luther Luther's life is affected by what he believes, right? When he when he realizes that the Bible clearly teaches that pastors can be married, and maybe even it's better, right? So like, Paul. Uh, in the qualifications for a minister says he should be the husband of one wife. Like, um, I mean, I think it's obviously fine to have single pastors. And, and Paul does also say, to be fair, that he wishes more pastors were single 
that 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 then they could be foreign missionaries who do dangerous things like he does. Um, I think there's advantages to being married as a pastor too. So um, I guess I'm biased. <laughs> but um, anyway, Luther. Yeah, that's right. Luther recognizes the that this is good and right, and and he even though he's like kind of. I'm not sure if I, I can do it. He still does the right thing. So. How old was he at that time? 1525. Uh, he was born in... Let me see if I remember this right. 86. Yeah, that sounds about right. 1480s. Um, so he would have been in the 1520s. That would have been, he'd been like 40. 40 years old. Yeah. Katarina had to have been younger, I imagine. Um, to, to have born... Yeah, probably so. Six kids. So. But, um, that's a lot more common in history that an old, like a slightly older man would marry a younger woman. That it's like kind of looked down upon today, but it's really common in history. So just biologically speaking, men are fertile their whole lives and women are not. So anyway. Um all right, Reformation events. Yeah, we'll go through this timeline. So uh, 1517, we already talked about that. Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door. And, and we talked about what that was, too. Like that, that was more of a political, like just academic exercise. But it, then it kind of blew up. Then in 1520, Pope Leo X issued a papal bull, uh, giving Luther 60 days to recant, take back what he had said against the Roman Catholic Church, and Luther later burned the bull publicly, right? So um, the, the word bull, by the way, in Latin, that's where we get the term bulletin, right? It's just a, an announcement, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and, and I will say this. It is right sometimes to burn wicked things, right, including books, right? So we have this kind of this piety about books nowadays where it's like if you burn a book that's like a wicked thing um it's i think it's actually right right i mean if if like if that christians have done this for for centuries and centuries that if like a say a i mean back in back in the early early church whenever roman uh citizens would convert to christianity and they had all these idols in their house they would burn them right or if witches would convert to Christianity, they would burn their books of, of spills and, and magic and, and things like that, right? So, um, the, and the reason I bring that up is because we have this, this, this fight now in our society over um, all these wicked books that are, are in public school libraries trying to teach young kids about gross things. Mm-hmm. And uh, people act like we're, like, like Christian parents are, just being, you know, rude and unloving or whatever, um, and uh, just too too rigid and dogmatic that they do, that they don't want these books in their children's presence, right? And it's but it's totally normal historically, and it's and it's right, right? Um, wickedness should be gotten rid of. So anyway, that's I'll get off my soapbox. Um, but Luther would have burned it, right? <laughs> burned the paper wall, so. All right. Um, Luther was, in 1521, Luther then was excommunicated uh, by Pope Leo X. Okay, so this is when 
this is this this break here, right? 1521 is is when the Roman Catholic Church kind of officially separates themselves, if you will, from from what they've been they've been shown by Scripture is the truth. All right, 1525, the Anabaptist movement began when a group of people who had been baptized as infants gathered to be rebaptized as adults. Uh, Mennonite, Amish, Hutterite, and Brethren groups are t- of of today are Anabaptists. So I mentioned the Anabaptists and the Zwinglians and the Calvins and all this Calvinists all this earlier. Um, it's it is important to note that when Luther starts preaching and teaching and and the he's excommunicated, it does kind of open up the floodgates, and in, in one sense that people feel free to disagree with the Roman Catholic Church at this point, right? And and it's kind of the Roman Catholic's fault, really. It's not really Luther's fault. It's the papist's fault for having such a strict view of authority before that they never allowed themselves to be challenged, right? And so sometimes pa- papists will, will blame Lutherans for this. They'll say, well, see, you know, they'll, they'll point to... to Protestantism as a problem. I say, look, how is anyone supposed to decide what to believe today? Because you got a million denominations, and that's all Luther's fault, right? Because of the Reformation. Well, I would say, if you go back in in history to this, one one thing to say is, well, it's really kind of your fault, right? Because you were trying to hold so much authority over people that they weren't allowed to question anything, and it was kind of like water pressure building up in a pipe and then the pipe burst and and you're saying that the first person to to you know drill the hole in that caused it to burst is at fault but really you had such a tight cap on it that that that's part part of the problem that happened right um and additionally into that argument i would also just say very basically well at the end of the day, I, I mean, I, I think we, we kind of talked about this when we talked about church history. Um, in, in one sense, the church has been devolving over time, right, where you, you started out with one unified denomination, and for the first thousand years of the church, everyone was pretty united, and then the East and the West split, and then the Roman Catholics and the Lutherans split, and then you had all these other Protestant denominations after another 500 years. And now 500 years more after that, we have like, yeah, you know, thousands of denominations or whatever um, and all these little micro denominations and all this. Um, In one sense, I think historically looking at that, it it just seems inevitable that the longer time goes on as we're waiting for Jesus to come back again, you're going to have more and more people disagree with each other. And it's just a fact of life. So what can we do? Well, we need to return to the scriptures, right? This is Luther's whole thing, right? Is that at the center of everything is God's word, right? Is the Bible. Um, and no matter where you are, you know, whether you're a papist on this map or you're a Calvinist or a Zwinglian or an Anabaptist or a Lutheran or, you know, down through history or ELCA or whatever, or United Methodists, wherever you end up on the, the map of denominations historically, the, the thing that you have to do is be willing to do what Luther did and look at the Bible 
and try and figure out where, what church matches what the Bible says, what church is preaching and teaching the Bible alone, right? And uh, I, I, I'm very confident to say, if if you do that, I think you'll eventually become Lutheran, right? Um, I don't think it's actually that as big of a problem as we think it is. And and one more thing I'd say about that too is even when you end up with, um, you know, hundreds of denominations or whatever it is that we have today in America, um, they're pretty easy to group together too. Like they're not. It's not like, you know, you might have uh, 20 different Baptist denominations, but they're all kind of the same, right? I mean, to be fair, they're not. A lot of them aren't that different, right? Or you could at least do two or three groupings of, of kind of what do they generally believe, right? And and you can at least take the major doctrines of Scripture and and kind of see where people people are at. So it's not actually as big of a problem as I think people make it out to be. Anyway, okay, um, that was a rabbit trail. Where where was I? Um, so 15. Yeah, the Anabaptist movement began in 1525. Oh yeah, so um, that's what I was gonna say. So it. When Luther, when this all this started happening with Luther, it did kind of open the floodgates, and a lot of these movements start kind of throughout the Reformation, right? So um, it's not, it's kind of interspersed on the timeline. So that's uh, that's all I was actually going to say. So they rebaptized people because they didn't think it took the first time. Yeah. So Anabaptist literally means in Greek to baptize again. Anna is a um, a a preposition or a, it's a, what's the word I'm looking prefix. for? Prefix, thank you. A prefix that means again. So the Anabaptists baptized again. And um, these are the first people who believe that infant baptism doesn't count. And and that lots of, that multiple baptisms might not count, right? That um, baptism is a symbol of faith and that you might need to be baptized multiple times in life uh, to show your faith, mm. right? So... Um, but they rejected infant baptism outrightly. So, um, but this is—I mean, this is the this is interesting because it is the first rejection of infant baptism in 1,500 years of the church, right? So, I mean, if if the church has agreed on something for 1,500 years, right, then it's probably a good idea not to reject it, right? Like, because that take when you think about like grace alone, right? What Luther or like works righteousness and, and grace alone, what Luther was dealing with primarily, the doctrine of justification, he went back and showed, hey, look, the early church agreed with this, right? Like Augustine is teaching grace alone, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, right? Um, we're restoring, we're reforming like what Christians believed for the first 500 years of the church, right? Um but when the Anabaptists come along, it's different because they have nothing to point to to say that we should not baptize infants, right? Nothing in history. No, basically, no one has ever taught that we should not baptize infants throughout throughout church history until the Anabaptists in 1500. So it's like, I mean, you could say that maybe they got it wrong for 1500 years, and we, and, but you have to be able to prove that from Scripture, right? And uh, I just don't think you could do that with infant baptism. So anyway, so this is why we call them the radical reformers, because they're 
they're taking the concept of reformation too far. They're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. All right, 1526. Ah, there you go. That's good. Um, no pun intended, but that, I like that. Okay, 1526, at the Diet of Spire, German princes were given the right to choose whether their territories would be Roman Catholic or Protestant. Okay, so um, this was a kind of uh, standard law then for a while, for hundreds of years that in a lot of the Holy Roman Empire then, um, as more and more people were converted to evangelicalism, to, to, to Lutheranism, as more and more people converted, um, more and more rulers also converted. And whenever you had, like, how are we going to decide, because church and state in the Holy Roman Empire were, you know, hand in hand, how are we going to decide how this is going to work out? Well, basically what they decided is that Whatever the religion of the ruler is, that's the religion of the land, right? So whatever that kind of local government is, like who, like whatever the prince or the mayor or whoever, you know, whatever the sheriff is, that's that's what everyone is, right? That's going to be the state, the local church. Um, so that could change. Yeah, it could change. Yeah, it, and it and it did for a little a while there. Um, and this that's actually when we get later on down the road in our history here. Um, that's how Lutherans ended up coming to America is they were under a Roman Catholic rule. The, some of the Saxons there were under a Roman Catholic rule and they were being persecuted. And so they, they came to America um, to be able to practice. Um, yes? When you're talking about the diamond worms, are chickens like worms. Yep. That, that must mean Roman Catholics are chickens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... 1529, uh, Luther published his large and small catechisms. He wrote the catechisms after he visited Saxony and realized how little most Christians and even most pastors knew about God and the Bible. The small catechism became an instant bestseller. So, um, yeah, this is called the Saxon Visitation. And he goes around to these churches and they don't even... When Luther, when Luther uses the term... So the term catechism... It just the it's a word that means teaching, right? Catechesis is teaching. And when he uses the term catechism, the catechism of the church, um, he's saying the the what he means is the basic teaching of the church. And he means three things specifically: the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed. And he finds out that most people don't know these things. Like they, most pastors don't even have these things memorized, right? Um, the the pastors have some of it memorized in Latin, but they don't even know what it means, right? Uh, they just recite it, right? It's kind of a dead recitation. And so um, this is why Luther writes the small catechism is – and, and if you remember in the small catechism, what's each section begin with? This phrase, as the head of the household should teach his family, right? So basically he wanted the small catechism uh, to be for uh, lay people, uh, for all lay people and for children, right? That's why it's a very kind of sim- simple question and answer kind of one or two sentences for each thing, right? 
Um, and then the large catechism he wrote to be the teaching manual for pastors and fathers, right? That pastors and fathers would obviously learn the small catechism as well, but then they would use the large catechism to help teach more in depth the small catechism to their to their children and to their to their lay people. All right. So um, that was kind of the idea of of his catechisms, and it and it it was a great idea, right? Um, and again, you just can't get away from the influence of Luther because then what does every other Protestant church do for the next couple hundred years? They all start writing their own catechisms, right? And and then Lutherans would even r- try and write other catechisms other than Luther's, although Luther's was the one that, that really stuck, right? Um, that's why we still use it today. But it's a, it's a genius format in, in one way, right? This question and answer format. Um, it's so helpful for, for teaching. And I'll, I'll just say this. I've taught the catechism like a hundred times now. I mean, I don't know. Um, I've got to be reaching like around 25 now. So of teaching times of teaching through the catechism um, in the last three or four years. So three, three going on three and a half years or whatever. And I appreciate it more and more every time. Like I, I find myself Stick, almost even sticking closer and closer to Luther's answers because they're just the most concise you can get, right? And um, yeah, I, don't, I, I just, I mean, I, I find that I find more and more connections within the catechism itself and what, what he teaches there in the nine parts of it to be just such a good summary of the faith. Like it's, it's very profound. So... I, I did not appreciate it as much as I, like, the first time I taught through the Luther Small Catechism, I was like, ah, you know, it's the Small Catechism, it's fine. And now after three and a half years of teaching it constantly, like, I think it's one of the best things that we have. So, anyway, that's beside the point. Um, not really. I mean, it is, it's part of the point. It, the Catechism did become an instant bestseller in 1529, too. Okay, 1530, this is when we want to talk about the Augsburg Confession. Okay, so the Augsburg Confession was prepared by Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon was another professor at Wittenberg University who also um, converted, right, with Luther, if you will. And um, he was, in some ways, he was the, the, so Luther was the face of the Reformation. Melanchthon was the brains of the operation. Um or at least the academic, if you will. Uh, he he was the one that really was able to systematize the theology. And so he writes this confession, the Augsburg Confession, because uh, Charles V um, calls together another diet, right? A diet of Augsburg in June. Uh, the emperor did not uh, like... Okay, so... Um, I just want to see here what all they can say. So it was, I think it was June June 25th is the um, when the Augsburg Confession is read in 1530, and this is really, in some ways, this is more important than the 95 Theses, 
right? So we always think 1517 is the year of the Reformation. We had 2017. We had the 500th anniversary. When we get to 2030, in some ways, that's really the 500th year of the Reformation. Because the Augsburg Confession, this is what I was saying about that professor earlier, this really becomes the confession of the, the Lutherans. Um, and you'll sometimes you'll see on churches, church cornerstones of LCMS churches, you'll see UAC uh, written on the cornerstone along with the year the church was founded. And UAC stands for the Unaltered Augsburg Confession. So later on in his life, Melanchthon writes something called the Variata, which is Latin for variation. It's a, a altered Augsburg Confession, which we don't hold to um, because he becomes a little more reformed in that. Uh, and reformed, I mean, by the, the, like the reformed or like people we'd think of as like Presbyterians today. Um, a little more Calvinistic um, in that, which is sad that Melanchthon... Melanchthon was trying to unite the Calvins, Calvinists and the Lutherans, and he altered the Augsburg Confession to do that anyway. That's beside the point. The UAC, the Unaltered Augsburg Confession, a lot of so a lot of churches in their constitutional name. Um, the, again, this is not us, but a lot of LCMS churches they'll call themselves like St. Paul Evangelical Lutheran Church of the Unaltered Augsburg Confession, right? But um, we. Uh, that's not our church name, but that is a lot of LCMS churches' names. Um, that's not. That's like basically only in the Constitution, right? It's not um, in like on the website or whatever. But so yeah. The unaltered one before Melanchthon actually changed it a little bit. Yeah. So that was 1530. Was the the and un- also Luther was hidden away because he was still wanted by the. Yeah. So yeah. So Luther. Had to do right. Luther was not at the Diet of Augsburg. Melanchthon and the and some of the others. Um, there's there's a lot of other important people that um, help with the Reformation. Obviously, it's not just Luther. You can. Um, I don't think this go this talks about too many people, but um, one thing you can do is in the. October Messenger, I put a website in there in the X something extra section. I think it's just called LutheranReformation.org or something like that. Check the October Messenger. Oh, I ran out of room. Um, and this website came out uh, before 2017 in preparation for the 500th anniversary. And there's a lot of Bible studies they have on like important people of the Reformation. And it's kind of an interactive website where you can kind of explore that Reformation, if you will. So it's a kind of cool website. Um, they have like a timeline and stuff like that. So um, if you're interested in finding out more about like um, uh, John the Steadfast or whatever other Reformation person you want to find out about, or Frederick the Wise, or whatever, um, you can look at that website. That should have uh, some good, simple information on there. Yeah, if it wasn't for Frederick and Saxony, you know, none of this would have happened because he probably would have gotten killed. Right, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of... Previous reporters, I think like John Huss. Yeah, Jan Huss. Yeah, he was burned at the stake right away, so he didn't right. get to do this. 
They say the printing press is what helped. Right. 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 It was the right time. Right. Yeah. You can. You can really see God's hand working in a lot of these things throughout history. Everything kind of had to fall into place. We talked about that some last week, I think. Um, all right, so then the Augsburg Confession was confessed in June. And, um, yeah, so when we get to June uh, 2030, you got to remind me, June 2030, you got se- seven years to prepare. We're gonna, we got to have a big celebration, okay? Yeah. Big celebration. Um, the emperor did not like what was said in the Augsburg Confession and prepared his own statement, um, the pontifical confutation of the Augsburg Confession. So basically you got the, uh, the Augsburg Confession and then you get the confutation. Oops, that was supposed to be a C. Confutation. Um, and then the Lutherans respond to the confutation with the apology to the Augsburg Confession. Okay, um, so you can see in that that little box there technical stuff. Were they sorry, right? Because it says apology. So the word apologia in Greek um, or apology means defense, right? So this is why we call um, people who defend the faith apologists, or this the practice of apologetics, right? It's not the practice of Saying we're sorry to people. It's yeah, the, I think people get confused. It's the pro, pro, the practice of, of using uh, the Bible and logic mm-hmm. to prove truths about God. Right. This is the word after Augsburg Confession that's This is uh, the confutation, the Roman confutation. Confutation. Yeah. This is the document that the Roman Catholics prepared. Um. All right, so. And then the apology is the defense of the Augsburg Confession. Okay. Um, so in, bo- in 1531, then both the Augsburg Confession and the apology were publicly published. Okay. Um, and uh, then in 1531, uh, no, sorry, 1534, Henry VIII created the Church of England, the origin of Anglicans and uh Episcopalians, right? The Society of uh, the Society of Jesus, what we know as Jesuits, is founded by Ignatius of Loyola. Okay, so. He did that so he could have as many wives. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Henry VIII uh, creates the Church of England because the Roman Catholics won't let him get divorced. Right. So. Um, that's that's how the Church of England is is created, right? So he's. What are he, the Jesuits? Uh, so the Jesuits is this society of Roman Roman Catholics that um, they are kind of politically operative uh, throughout throughout history, but you get um, they do different things throughout throughout history, uh, but they kind of fight for Roman Catholicism in certain places. But today you have like Jesuit universities, right? Mm-hmm. So. Or Loyola University is a Jesuit university, right? So, um, in 1538, Martin Luther's small college articles are published. So, um, actually, if you flip back a page, we actually talked about the Book of Concord at the beginning of Lutheranism 101. That was the very first thing we talked about, um, but that was over a year ago. So, <laughs> um, but the Book of Concord is the the book of Lutheran confessions. 
I'm running. I'm all over the place on the board here. Um, but the the BOC or the Book of Concord uh, is made up of a series of documents that then become like the collection of what Lutherans confess. Mm-hmm. And this is what uh, Lutheran pastors today in their ordinations subscribe to, right? So in my ordination, like, wait, so when you become a member of the LCMS, all you have to say is that I've been taught the small catechism and I agree with the, what the small catechism says. Pastors go to seminary, right? And we learn all this stuff. And then we have to say, we subscribe to the small catechism. Well, and and, and the Bible, you have to say you, you agree with the Bible too. Um, but the Bible and then the small catechism, the large catechism, the creeds, the, the Augsburg Confession, the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, um, the small called articles, the power and primacy of the Pope, and then the formula of Concord. So um, the, the, BOC, the BOC of the Book of Concord, um, sometimes called the Lutheran Confessions, sometimes called the symbols of the Lutheran Church. Um, this is the old term for it, as it used to be known as symbolics, was uh, the representation of what you believe. That's why it's a symbol, right? So the symbolics of the, the church were the confessions, but I think most often now today called the Book of Concord or, or the Lutheran Confessions. But um, anyhow, uh, that's this collection of documents. Okay, so just a refresher on the Book of Concord. Um, right now, I'm actually having a lot of fun going back through the Book of Concord because uh, Vicar, Vicar Bennett, my, my vicar in Oxford, um, his class in seminary right now and I, I get to discuss the readings with him, is on the Book of Concord. So um, I was just, I read the formula of Concord just the other other day for that. Um, the power, power and primacy of the Pope. Uh, so that's, as we'll see in a minute, that's published in 1540. Oh. And it's about, it's what it says. It's about the, the power of the Pope, right? Oh. And, and, and who is the Pope and what is a Pope? And is a Pope good? Is a Pope bad? And, and, the, the primacy is this idea of uh, why, why is he prime in the Roman Catholic Church, right? So, yeah. Um, the, so that's 1540, but to back up there just to that, that one right before, Martin Luther's small called articles in 1538 are published. Luther had been asked to prepare a statement of faith that would clearly explain the difference between Ro- Lutheran and Roman Catholic beliefs. Um, now, the interesting thing about the small called articles is that Luther, this is one of those times I mentioned, sorry, I just realized what time it was. This is one of those times that I mentioned that Luther thinks he's about to die. Um, He's got severe stomach and kidney stone problems at this time. And they ask him to write this this, uh, document to just say, what do Lutherans versus Roman Catholics believe? And so this is kind of his, if you want to think about it this way, like his last will and testament, right, of like what he sees Lutherans as believing. Um, and I really like it because it's it's my it's always been my favorite of document in the Book of Concord that it's just very clear and straightforward. Right? It's 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 a pleasurable to read because he's just like, this is it. Right. So um, anyway, that's the small called articles. And we need to talk about the small caldic league and the, the small called war, but I don't know if he if the book covers that. Um, 
Anyway, we'll have to get to that next time. Okay, I'm going to mark right here. Um, we did, We already talked about 1540. Um, oh, we need to talk about the Council of Trent. All right, so we'll keep doing that next week, and then we're getting into the 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 world of the Reformation, and then Lutheranism after Luther. So I I kind of like these um, the way the book lays all this out uh, that it takes us from the Reformation all the way up to American Lutheranism. So I think we'll just kind of keep going through the book. Um, this has actually been the best I think the best part of the book so far because I've mm-hmm. I've tried to to basically do my own thing most of the other times but this has been good enough <laughs> i don't feel like i need to so um i think it's actually a really good book overall but anyway all right yeah right yeah Right. Yeah. And then after this, uh, after we get through all this history stuff, then it goes into living as Lutherans. So what is what does our life together look like about prayer and evangelism and all these practical kinds of things? So I think it'll be good. Well, you know, it might take us have taken us two or three years by the end of it, but it'll <laughs> it'll be fine. April 2021. All right. So it's been. Over two years. Ah. All right. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for this day. And we pray uh, that you would continue to preserve your word among us, that we may always return to it and continue to judge all by the gospel that has been preached to us. And we pray that you would continue to bring to light those who are in error, that they would see you for who you are by the truth of your word. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ah, okay.